0: I've never had a dull conversation with Nima arkani hamed One of the world's leading theoretical physicists, he's also a lively, incisive and provocative talker. His passion is what he regards as truly fundamental physics, and he doesn't have much time for matters in physics that he regards as peripheral. He loves to enthuse about the challenge of coming to grips with the basic concepts of physics, such as space and time. This is the best possible time to be doing basic research into physics in his view. My name is Graham Farmelo, and this is the first of a series of interviews to mark the publication of my new book, The Universe Speaks in Numbers. In these interviews, I'll be talking to leading figures in physics and mathematics about how their worlds have recently come together. When I caught up with Nima Arkani Hamed last summer, we talked about how he became interested in science during his childhood, spent mainly in Canada and the United States, though he was born in Iran. How did he come to be obsessed with the search for the most fundamental description that we human beings can give of the order underlying the messy complexities of the real world? I began by asking Nima what he meant by the phrase, the universe speaks in numbers, which forms the title of my new book.
1: Uh, well, first, I'm 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 very flattered that uh, I was responsible for the title of the book. Um, uh, but people have have said for for centuries, of course, that going back to to a Galileo, that it's remarkable that the secrets of nature are somehow revealed to human beings, at least in the language of uh, mathematics. And uh, I certainly heard this even as a kid. And the way kids tend to be, I felt a little skeptical about it. Like, uh, well, isn't it obvious that that mathematics is going to describe the way Balls fall and planets go around the sun, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. The really remarkable thing that's been seen more and more in the last uh, in the last hundred years or so, uh, really since the big revolutions in the early part of the of the twentieth century, is that there, there are parts of, of mathematics that mathematicians run into for their own private reasons that have absolutely nothing, even remotely, to do with looking out the window and seeing what the world looks like. That uh, often turn out an incredibly surprising, subtle, deep, unexpected ways uh to be of crucial relevance to describing uh to describing physical laws and this is i think a completely mind-blowing fact there's it's not obvious it's not uh, we have no idea why it's true uh but it seems to be true so if you don't train your ear uh, to listen to the way the laws of nature want to speak their truths to you in, in a mathematical language you're going to you're going to miss out on the, uh, on, on the chance to, 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 to learn something
0: fundamental about the way the world works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most people would say uh, uh, that the universe speaks to us through experimental results, right? So why are you extending that to mathematics?
1: Well, I mean, um, physics is a science. It's an, it's an experimental science. Experiments are the ultimate judge of whether theories are right or wrong, and I think no one would dispute these sort of uh, trivial, obvious things. Mm. Um, they're, they're not trivial. They're, mm. they're profound and important, but it's trivial that we have to take them uh, seriously, and they're, and they're true. Mm. And this is, of course, related to um, something that's gotten me in, in, in trouble uh, a number of times. There is an asymmetry between experimentalists and theorists and and it's because the ultimate purpose of uh, of our science is not merely to observe things about the world but to understand things about them mm-hmm. okay and so nature speaks to us in indeed most importantly through the observations uh, mm-hmm. to see uh, what's going on mm-hmm. and and what it's about but the things that we're really after in the end are the are the explanations and the character of the explanations is fundamentally mathematical so there are these two things, and, and of course, it's been, it's been this way ever since the beginning, going back centuries, as, as we, as we've already talked about. But, uh, it's maybe part of the sign of the uh, maturity of our, of our subject. We've, be, we've been at this for 400 years. We have a, a wealth of experimental information already about the way the world works. Mm. Uh, that information is, uh, is putting tremendously strong restrictions on our imagination for what might, uh, uh come next. And, uh, so we're, we're, we're not in the situation where we can, invent completely random pictures for what the laws of nature uh, might be that aren't instantly ruled out by everything we experimentally know about the way the world works already. Well, what's remarkable is that we don't have to keep going back to the old experiments to check whether this uh, conjecture flies in the face of that specific experimental data from 20 years ago or mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. It's because all of the old experimental facts are encoded in precise mathematical statements <laughs> that, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that have to govern uh, any laws that we imagine uh, uh, coming up with next. So no one doubts the, the profound, pervasive Uh, crucial importance of, of, of experiments and new experiments will tell us new things and, uh, and will, will definitely be, uh, you know, of incredible importance. But we know so much about the way the world works already that old experiments are a huge deal and, uh, being compatible with the old experiments is already imposing mathematical constraints on our, on our understanding of the world, which in turn suggests, uh, uh, new kinds of mathematics and uh, and and new ways in which mathematics can inform
0: what might come next. All right, let's go back and uh, look at how you got into uh, physics. You, you you don't look like a typical physicist to me. You look like a you look like a, a, a died in the wall hedonist. You mean? <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't imagine you doing something you didn't like doing. So you must have been pretty attracted to this uh, this subject. Did you did you always want to do physics and math, or could it be not anything else? Uh, well, I mean, I wanted. Uh, I always
1: loved the the natural world. Mm. Uh, well, you know, when I was five or six years old, I wanted to be a garbage man. Um, there, there. I oh, was, what went wrong? Uh, uh, well, I was. Attra- <laughs> you know, I, I was attracted to the. This shows how both how naive and simultaneously idealistic I was. I was attracted to the idea that they had a very free life.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. And. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: but anyway, when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, I really wanted to be a naturalist. I, I, right. yeah. I really loved uh, catching uh, frogs, salamanders, um, right. okay. uh, mm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and studying them. Mm. But I also loved math. And so the, I always had this uh, combined. Uh,
0: so why not a mathematical uh, biologist?
1: Ah, well, I, I, I didn't know that such a thing was uh, was a possible. But mm-hmm. actually, no. More, more, more seriously, um, I, I can I can say a very specific experience that uh, converted me to, uh, to a theoretical physics. I think it was around thirteen years old. I learned how to. Um, uh, calculate the speed with which you need to throw an object, like the space shuttle or something like that, uh-huh. in order for it to escape the Earth's gravitational right. field. Okay, and I knew as a kid, like most like science nerd kids, know that you need to fire things at like eleven kilometers a second. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered how did people figure out that yeah. number? Did they try seven, eight, nine first and mm-hmm. only have things crashing back down to Earth? Mm-hmm. And I learned that you could actually figure this out from uh, Newton's laws. And there's a formula and you can write it down. Mm-hmm. And that you don't need to rely on any authority. You don't need to rely on anyone else. You can do it, uh, little old you can, mm-hmm. uh, can, can, can figure out how it works. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, when you know the formula, not only do you know it's 11 kilometers a second for Earth, but you can work out what it is for the moon, for the Jupiter, yep. for the sun, for everything. Mm-hmm. And just that idea of simple laws that any old, you know, 13 year old kid could understand that then gave you this power to understand things we see in the world around us, Mm -hmm. uh, was absolutely intoxicating.
0: But it took several years before arkani Hamed fell in love with basic physics. By then, he was a student in college. Cosmology, black holes, particle physics, accelerators, I didn't care
1: about stuff like that at all for a very long time. What I really found attractive was the fact that physics could explain things about the world around us and that I could do it myself yeah. um, okay. with these laws that came down
0: uh, from many, many years ago. Now, when you were undergraduate, you did physics and math, didn't you? Yes, I did. Right, yes. okay. Uh, when you went on to do uh, graduate work, what were you intending to do then? Well, um,
1: I think I had an experience. A lot of people uh, perhaps have when they go to graduate school. I went in with one picture for what I was good at what I'd end up uh, doing. And that and was? It, well, I thought I would do um, somewhat formal, somewhat mathematical things and uh, for a whole variety of reasons uh, I didn't end up doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. I ended up working on uh, models of uh, particle physics that would uh, explain properties of the Higgs particle, things that would be a really of much more direct and close uh, uh, connection to uh, experimentalists, mm-hmm. and um, and I found to my surprise that I really really enjoyed it. I was I was good at it, and uh, that's that's what I what I ended up doing. So I was very very far from, uh, from the more mathematical, fundamentally theoretical part of the subject as a graduate student.
0: Could you, could you have been, uh, one of these people working on, uh, on solids or liquids or something like that? Could you uh, have done? That?
1: Well, um, in fact, uh, I had a, I had a dark moment early in my, uh, oh. graduate career, mm-hmm. um, where I temporarily became, uh, disenchanted with, uh, with the particle physics for a whole variety of reasons that seem kind of laughable now, mm. uh, that I know so much more. And I actually spent s- several months, um, working on, on the physics of solids, uh, mm-hmm. what, what's, what's mm-hmm. the technically called uh, uh, condensed matter physics. Yeah. And it's actually, it's a fascinating subject. It's an intellectually rich and fascinating mm-hmm. subject. It has all kinds of deep mm-hmm. relationships to mm-hmm. uh, particle physics, uh, quantum field theory. Uh, and there's been lots of back and forth, fruitful interactions. But uh, fundamentally, the subject is about figuring out what happens to the behavior of solids and liquids and other things mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Metals, when you cool them down and various cool quantum phenomenon happen, and I was enjoying myself at a sort of mechanical, day-to-day, technical way. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, shortly before Christmas, I woke up with a start one morning, and I realized I just didn't care about metals deeply at all. Um, and uh, uh, I just could give a rat's ass about what was going on when he cooled down metal. I
0: just didn't care. But what did um, you care about then?
1: I cared about the universe. I cared about uh, you know, all the things that filled me with awe when I was a child. Um, right. mm. The origin of the universe, the ultimate fate of the universe, what's going on with the structure of the laws of nature. I mean, that's what really drew me into the subject was that wow. there were these simple, profound, deep laws that, that explained everything fundamentally around us and uh, I found that I had gone i 'd strayed far from that original motivation it 's part of the difficulty and one of the challenges of uh, of working in in physics in fundamental physics especially is um that you have to remember why it is that that you're doing this and most of us do it because there is some deep curiosity that goes back uh, to our childhoods mm-hmm. and grand questions uh, of course you can't sit around just uh, uh, gazing at these grand questions all day you mm-hmm. have to do something mm-hmm. practical you have to gotta mm-hmm. uh, it's the challenge of science is that you have to work on the next problem not just necessarily ask the, to, right like, uh, ask the right question and you might want to know about the deep nature of the origin of space and time and the mm-hmm. universe mm-hmm. and Mm -hmm. all of these things and you could have wanted to know those things a thousand years ago Mm -hmm. and it would have been completely pointless to work on them back then Mm -hmm. there are just too many things we didn't know Mm -hmm. even a hundred years ago it would have been pointless Mm -hmm. to ask about. a hundred years ago we didn't know why water is wet we didn't know why grass is green Mm -hmm. so you could sit around and ask these profound questions about the nature of space and time the universe would have been the wrong time Mm -hmm. Um, so the the challenge is is to figure out how to think about the grand questions but continuously connect them to some much smaller concrete things that you can uh, work on Mm -hmm. and figure out how to Zoom in and out from thirty thousand feet uh, for the big scale questions down to ground level where you're actually working on things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I found throughout my uh, my career that it's important to stop and ask myself if I'm actually able to zoom in and out like that, <laughs> um, whether I can continuously connect the small thing that I'm working on to these really big things that I actually really care about and uh and have you and ever,
0: has that ever stopped you doing anything
1: very very often it has really? yes well i mean you know that you do all kinds of things that, that 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 don't pan out you do all sorts of things that that aren't really going anywhere but i periodically have this conversation with 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 myself and if it seems that i've uh at least in my own judgment if i've strayed uh too far in either direction if i'm spending too long up in the airy fairy atmosphere mm-hmm. uh or if the if the very small scale technical thing that I'm doing just is not closely connected enough to a grand questions, I stop and I try to do, do something else. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no obvious rule for how to proceed here, and so we keep having to use our best best mm-hmm. judgment. But mm-hmm. it's a very important uh, yeah, yeah. self conversation to have if you're
0: a, if you're a theoretical physicist. Let me come back to you. You made your name as a theoretician who was pretty close to experiment. Actually, you know, someone that was very interested in what experiments were doing. Someone who was Plainly trying to actually produce theories that connected to nature—is that a fair statement? Absolutely. I, I still think it's uh, an incredibly important thing for
1: for theoretical physicists to do. To remember there is a world out there, mm-hmm. and that uh, and that there are experimentalists looking at this world, and it's part of our job to figure out what that actual world out there, and not toy models in our heads, but that actual world out there actually looks like.
0: In recent years, some feet-on-the-ground physicists have lost patience with arkani Hamed and some of his colleagues, accusing them of mathematical masturbation. I think uh, throughout my career,
1: um, I've been led to doing things that I didn't think that I would be doing, that I even think I was particularly good at doing. Mm. Um, But uh, I'm not so narcissistic as to think that I should care what I'm good at doing. (laughs) If there's something I think that I can do that's that's related to uh, deep questions about physics... Um, then I try to do what the physics is telling me to do next, and uh, following what the physics wants me to do next has led me by the nose to doing completely crazy things that I would never have thought I would have done with 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 okay, my life. Okay, so
0: you're saying that this yeah. uh, this math, so to speak, has uh, has been driven by your physical. It's, been, it's yeah. been forced on. I mean, it
1: is ironic. I do find it ironic and uh, and 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 strange and also cool and exciting at the same time that while, you know, 10 or 12 years ago I spent maybe most of my time talking to experimental particle yeah. physicists working at the Large Hadron Collider yeah. um, most of my time over the past five years has been spent talking to mathematicians yeah, you know, yeah. day in and day out, so yeah, yeah. it's not a small difference, it's a, it's a profound difference in my day-to-day working life, <laughs> but what, what, what's driven that was asking questions about the physical world, the actual real physical world, yeah. and even questions of direct relevance for uh, experimentalists working at, mm. uh, at accelerators. ...like the Large Hadron Collider... But, ...but independent of that... ...the very basic, simple physical questions... Uh, ...which when you ask them... ...and you, uh, you try to find out what the answers are... Mm-hmm. Uh, ...you are driven into uh, strange new mathematics. Maybe I can say uh, mm-hmm. a kind of more, more general point... ...along these lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been living with... Uh, ...almost uh, a little over 100 years... Uh, ...of these two giant revolutions... ...of the first part of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, Einstein's picture of space-time and the laws of quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. And something I think is really insufficiently appreciated, uh, even by many physicists. I mean, it's, it's sort of the, it's the bread and butter for most of us working in fundamental physics, but I think it's in, insufficiently appreciated broadly, is that these two principles uh, together put an unbelievably tight straitjacket on our theoretical imaginations for mm-hmm. what can come next. You could sort of say that the the slogan of the 20th century after we learned these two great facts... Mm-hmm. Uh, is that special relativity and quantum mechanics are so difficult to combine together. Yeah. I like to say, you could imagine giving theoretical physicists one set of rules or the other set of rules, mm. relativity or quantum mechanics, and yeah. say, come up with universes that are compatible with these laws. Mm. And they could come up with lots for either one. Mm. And now you would tell them, come up with universes that are compatible with both. both. Yeah. And, um, you know, if someone told me that and didn't let me look at the world outside, mm. I would just give up. It doesn't look <laughs> like it's possible. Mm. But if you take a more competent set of theoretical physicists and lock them up in a room just with the laws... Uh, and let them think for a long time, uh, they will eventually realize that it's almost impossible to put them together, but there's this very, very tight uh, logical structure that lets you talk about even imagined universes that are compatible with uh, the laws of special relativity and quantum mechanics. Do you feel that drives you day to day? Would you feel that? I think in the most literal possible way. You know, yep. uh, uh uh an hour and a half before this conversation i was uh, i was um, uh, sitting around working on a technical problem mm-hmm. with uh with some of my friends mm-hmm. and uh, and mm. what ruled out a particular idea was the incompatibility with quantum mechanics. Really? And, you know, three days ago, mm. what rules out another idea is the incompatibility with relativity. It's, yeah. it's in a very literal sense. We have these great principles, these great physical principles. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, mm. there are these great physical principles exquisitely confirmed by experiment. Yeah. And also amazingly codified in mathematical statements that we can check mm. about any formulas we write down, any idea what we have, mm-hmm. we can check. Is it compatible with quantum mechanics? Is it compatible with uh, relativity? Mm-hmm. Amazingly non-trivial checks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, A, we're left to wonder... Uh, to sort of marvel at this incredible structure that takes these two ideas that nearly don't play together and nonetheless uh, manage to be compatible. Mm-hmm. So there's already a, a clue to pursue there. You know, where did this near miss come from? Why why does space-time and quantum mechanics seem mm-hmm. almost not to play with each other, but but do somehow? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a great clue. That could be a great clue as to what space-time and quantum mechanics really are more deeply. Mm-hmm. And at some level, a lot of my, my work over the last 10 years has been trying to understand what space-time and quantum mechanics are from a different point of view, always having this massive check on any idea you have that has to be compatible with mm-hmm. the principles, nonetheless, even if you don't work in a picture of the world where they're, where they're primary. Mm-hmm. But this enormous straitjacket almost completely dictates the kind of gross structure of the laws of nature at large enough uh, distances, certainly on everyday scale, even mm-hmm. down to the short, very short distances that we probe at accelerators, enormous distances mm-hmm. we talk about in uh, cosmology. We have all sorts of huge profound uh, mysteries and paradoxes that we have to address, but doing it without ruining these old ideas seems almost impossible. (laughs) And uh, Mm -hmm. so uh, there's a reason we suffer and work hard is because uh, any idea you have for what can go next has got to be compatible with these principles and you can check whether you're right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're wrong almost all the time.
0: For some years, quite a few physicists, including Einstein, doubted that quantum mechanics and special relativity were compatible. But they are only just, and the results of jamming them together have been amazingly fruitful for both physicists and mathematicians. This is one of the great themes of The Universe Speaks in Numbers. We shall be exploring this theme in other interviews, including the continuation of the one you've just heard with Arkani Hamed. There he tells us how he and one of his colleagues was led, constrained by relativity and quantum mechanics, to discover a hitherto unknown mathematical object That mathematicians could have discovered over a century before, but didn't. Physicists had been led to it by the nose, by listening to the universe